Welcome to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Tybal Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and today we present a conversation on one of the more challenging components of managing an exceptional team, and that's letting go of those who no longer perform to expectations. Howard sat down with Dr. Robert Johnson, Dean of Rutgers New Jersey Medical School, to talk about the personal skill of letting go, the importance of clarity and honesty in communication, and building support for these hard decisions, not just on your team, but across the institution. Make sure to visit tybalink.com to learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, and we'll let you know each time a new episode is released. And now, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Robert Johnson to Navigating Change. Howard? Thank you very much, Pete. So, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being on this. I was so intrigued by the time you and I were together and we were on a break. Um, And I'm going to ask you to briefly tell that story. You had shared a brief anecdote with me about something that you're good at. And I'm thinking, okay, what is that? You know, he's he's a good listener. He's, uh, you know, he's a good pediatrician. You've got, you know, such great different credentials. But you also said to me that you're good I mean, but you may have even said you're great at firing people. And I, I, I looked at you twice to see if you were serious. But then when you told the story, it had a much deeper component to it. And it had a quality of empathy that I think is important for people to understand. So if you can relate that story that you and I had talked about, then we'll riff on that and, and take it from there. Well, if I remember correctly, Howard, I was told you about uh, a chair that I had to uh, let go. Uh, He had uh, done something that uh, required him to no longer be part of our school. And uh, he was very successful, but he just crossed the line. And uh, what I wanted to do in my meeting with him was to help him understand our point of view, that the line was crossed, and because the line was crossed, he had to to leave. Now, this didn't mean he was a bad person. Uh, It didn't mean that we did not appreciate what he'd done. But we had to we had to let him go. And but that's where it gets hard, isn't it? Yeah. Where we fall into this idea that we don't know how to have that conversation because we're afraid that we're coming across like you're a bad yeah. person. So right. what is it that you think you do if you self-reflect that makes it more possible to have that conversation? One of the things I do is I'm very direct. And I start off the conversation with uh, getting to the end point. The end point is that uh, you've done something that means you're going to have to have to leave. No, you don't build to it. No, you say it right out of the gate. I say it right out of the gate. And I think maybe that's a result of what I've done in my practice. You know, I, I say practice adolescent medicine. I see lots of young people with HIV, and I frequently have to tell them that they had HIV. And the best way to do it is to get the bad thing over with and say, this is where we're going. You have this disease, and we're going to take care of it. In this particular case, you did something wrong. The end point is you will no longer be chair. You'll no longer be with us, and we we have to have to get there. And uh, you know, I, I take that approach with people who are being let go because they uh, have not made made expectations with tenure, because their contracts have run out, all sorts of things. And I think that one of the mistakes that people sometimes make is they want to soften the blow. Well, mm. There's no way to soften the blow. They don't want the other person not to, to like them. Well, yeah, that's uh, in this particular case when I told you about. This uh, chair was very pleased at the end. I mean, he actually embraced me. Uh, mm. And uh, I still um, I had to do something that was really not good for his career. But uh, but he appreciates 
what I had to do. And yeah, and you had HR. You you shared. Now I remember you shared with me. HR was there, and the person left yeah. the room, and the person said, "How did you do that?" That's yep. a that's a unique experience to observe, having a difficult conversation and mm-hmm. having someone walk away feeling appreciated. Usually, mm-hmm. what happens is they might come back to you six months later and say, "I understand why you had to do that." So let me ask you something then. What about something that's not so obvious? Right? There is some crossing the lines where there are rules versus mm-hmm. crossing the line where there are no. What about a situation where somebody is not right for the job? They didn't break any rules. They didn't do anything wrong. They're just not right for the job. How do you approach that? Is it any different in that case? It's actually somewhat different because we establish, or I like to establish expectations for the job right up front. And I ask the, and this usually uh, happens with the chairs of the departments, I want them to tell their staff members, their faculty, what the expectations are and set them and set them in writing, and everyone needs to understand what they are. And we, they understand further that if the expectations are not met, it will result in a termination for the job. You say it right up, th- up front, and you do something that's so infrequently done, which is make it explicitly clear what the expectations are. Yeah, the, the, the times we've gotten into trouble around here have been times when it's not clear, that expectations have not been set. And, and then you just end up with a with a big mess where people are, are angry. There's miscommunication between the employee and the supervisor because the supervisor had one expectation, the employee had another expectation, didn't understand it, and because of that, uh, there's a, a lot of disagreement. You know, it all boils down to is being direct, being direct and, and making decisions, making sure everyone understands it, and then operating on them. One, the other thing that gets you into trouble is if, as a boss, you say this is going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. Oh, and yeah. That, you lose credibility with, right. uh, with your staff. Have you ever found yourself coming to this skill set because you didn't adhere to this? You know, I've been a dean for 11 years now, and out of the gate, I came into a bad situation. I had to let a number of people go. Fortunately, I had developed the skills of that helped me tell somebody bad news uh, before I became a dean. And I always operated that way in, mm. in this particular job. I can remember as a younger physician where I didn't do that with patients who had bad diagnoses, and that was very, very difficult. So let me ask you something. We, we use a lot of metaphors and euphemisms around this idea of um, making a change. We talk about getting people on the bus and off the bus. Are these helpful or harmful in the long run. Ultimately, from the person's perspective, right. they're being fired, right? Right. right. What you're going to say, likely, is, you know, I have to let you go, but the experience in their lap is I've just been fired. It's important for the boss, me, to understand the feeling that the other person has. Mm. And if they're being fired, I need to identify that and understand that, that they're going to feel bad about it. They need some time to get through that. And and uh, and I, by using language that cloud stuff or pretties it up, you really don't uh, help the conversation. How can the delay in a termination, either from personal experience in your own team, impact the, the remainder of the team? I can tell you, I work with lots of different leaders who often say to me, I should have made that decision yeah. two years ago or six months right. ago. Well, it's very demoralizing for the rest of the team because people get the feeling that nothing can happen. And I'll tell you, there is one problem we are having, and that is that these decisions can be grieved through a union process. Yeah, that really delays. That first of all, it delays things, 
and it makes it much more difficult. So I have, I have a situation now uh, where I, I have decided that someone should be terminated. Um, this person had an opportunity to grieve, and ha there was a process outlined uh, that could um, that they have to go through in order to uh, have a reconsideration. And the fact of the number decide not to do it, they decide to go through all these other loops. I stuck to my decision, and the fact that they tried to go around the process was not helpful to them at all. They really, really do need to get the thing done and get done quickly. Well, have you ever had a change of heart? Well, I'm usually very consistent, um, and I take time to fully understand all the factors that are involved with the decision I have to make. Yes. I generally talk to other people um, to get their reaction to the vice deans and the members of my administrative team. We talk about what it's going to be, and I do this quickly. This is mm. like yeah. within a day. We yeah, you get can, everyone together. So you can all get back to work. I mean, this is yeah. like the stuff you got to get through so you can focus exactly. on the work. Exactly. I don't make decisions capriciously, and therefore I, I, these types of decisions, I don't think I've ever changed my mind. Never have. Yeah. But, you know, but that's, you know, Howard, I have to say that the decision that the dean, making a decision at the dean level usually comes after a lot of other stuff. Is exactly. Happening. So it doesn't get, so usually if it gets is bad enough to get to me to make the decision, that's an inherent challenge. And you have to very frequently um, uh, manage up and make sure that you have the support of the person yeah. above you. So. In my case, I have a great chancellor who has consistently supported me, and I don't have to give him a call to find out whether or not it's okay to take action. And I did the same thing with uh, under our other structure with the president. It's been the same type of thing. So, But I think that the fact that I've been consistent in my approach over the years has been helpful for the person I'm, 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 who supervises me to know that I'm going to make a decision that's going to make sense and, uh, and, and not harm the institution. Right. So yeah. talk about uh, exit interviews. I know in some cases institutions yeah. that's required, but mm -hmm. aside from the requirement, how do you feel about exit interviews? Are they, are they effective? I think they're very effective, and we try to do them with, uh, with all people who, who leave uh, so that we can get some sense of how we're doing. Many times we'll discover there are some issues that we need to handle we haven't handled well. Now, we don't have too many people leave here, and we, uh, there are different types of exits. There's some people who exit, and we're really happy to see them go. Other people who exit because we've said you have to go, and then there are others who exit uh, and we're not really very pleased that they're going to leave. Probably also helps them in some cases to yeah. be able to either in some ways vent uh, a frustration or even to, uh, to, to to sort of settle something, right? To be yeah. in a position where they can move on yeah. and, and that they're not holding it. Because ultimately you do want the best for them. You know, this is the interesting thing that I found in coaching people <laughs> is that too often a, a leader who has to make that just tough decision actually thinks they're doing the person a disservice when in fact – that person is likely unhappy in the job because they're getting feedback that they're not doing well, and there is likely a job out there where they can do well. So we're not doing them a service by keeping them around. You're, you're absolutely right about that, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's very important to explicitly define the job 
And if they can't do the job, then they should do another job and do another job in a place where they can do it. Well, see, this is what's interesting because we just did a recent podcast on succession planning, and we were talking about the difference between what's in the job description and the skill set to do the job well. And what I was talking about was the need to do a better job of hiring for certain kinds of attributes like integrity, empathy, judgment, courage, passion. And I often think that we don't hire and test for those qualities. So how do you get at the kind of core skills that you're looking for from somebody that's not just, here's the work you'll be doing? I mean, it really does require you have a job description that defines those in around more of the soft skills. How do you deal with that? You know, the soft skills uh, was outbound develop over time. And what and one of the ways we get at that is through mentoring. So everybody who comes into our organization has a mentor who helps them get established. And as they get established, they learn uh, many of those soft skills and shows them how we operate. Now, you have to assume that the organization has established these soft skills as a institutional value. We make clear that it is an institutional value, whether with our students or our faculty, or our staff. And if there is de- deviation from those values, then we, we make sure that people understand that they've done that and that it's not acceptable in our institution. The people listening to this, we're going to have a whole range of people who are in a position to either be thinking in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I should be doing something different, right? They're, they're right. sitting in that, they're waiting for the hammer to fall or saying, maybe I should take ro- uh, responsibility responsibility and and move on or you got people out there who are considering making some tough decisions any right. final parting words uh, of wisdom I, for them in order to be an effective leader you have to make the tough decisions you have to make them quickly and you have to stand behind the tough decisions the equivocation will kill an institution and it kills the person and so your job as a dean or as a boss a president is to make hard decisions and to stand behind those hard decisions and to make sure that that they're achieved. I got a feeling that you're a pretty good parent, too. That's what... <laughs> well, I've written books about parenting. So. <laughs> I just get this sense yeah. that you've got yeah. a, that you, that, you, that your kids uh, know where you stand. And, and I'll tell you how many parents today yeah. want their kids to like them. Right. Yeah. right. And this is where things fall apart. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, I have one of one of my expertise areas is in parenting, and so I've written a few books about how to how to effectively parent teenagers. And you absolutely have to do that. You have to be a parent, not a friend. I might be talking to you offline. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much. Oh. This is this is invaluable insight, and I think your your skills come from a lifetime of experience and. And I know that the people listening to this are going to use this as sort of motivation to say, well, how can I be better? So so thank you for being willing to be on the show. Enjoy it, Howard. Excellent.